0: Breaking news is in. Dario Saric has torn his ACL.
1: Oh, that sucks.
0: Crazy. The fifth ACL tear of the season. Jamal Murray, Thomas Bryant, Markel Fultz, Spencer Dinwiddie. Damn. And then if you count, I guess, Clay Thompson in there too, but his is different. Not this season. Pretty somber note to open up this podcast. (laughs) Likewise of The Ringer, of Woke Bros on the Count the Dings Network from Full Court Fits. Sir. The new segment, the new bit you do on your new spot at The Ringer. Man, I am so happy for you. Your glow-up has been fantastic. Your skin looks amazing. I don't know what you've done. <laughs> uh, Spotify
2: got me a ring light, Tom. That's all that is. <laughs> That's
1: all that the is, me, boy. <laughs> And I like
0: that you said it was Spotify that that got you that, man. You're big time. I'm surprised Big Waz has agreed to do this podcast because he's so up there right now.
2: First of all, that's BS. Second of all, I I say (laughs) You can
0: swear on this program.
2: I say Spotify because that's who name is on the checks. (laughs) All right. So I'ma say I'ma shout out Spotify so long as it still says Spotify Inc.
0: (laughs) every first and fifteenth of the month. I've been listening to your stuff over there with Bill and Chris Ryan, watching you on Full Court Fits, and I got to say, man, I haven't heard Bill Simmons laugh this much since <laughs> since you came on. Like I've never heard this. Like you have charmed the face off of everybody over there including Bill. So congratulations on that. Listen, Tom, you know my
2: personal brand is, you know, anti-establishment. Anti corporate, anti whatever, <laughs> but my work brand is definitely bootlicking, <laughs> falling in line, <laughs> and keeping the powers that be happy. So, y'all already
1: know what Tom it is. <laughs> Does it better than anyone else? That's my favorite part. <laughs> it's like he's so good at it.
0: The best one is Daryl Morey when
1: he uh, came on Daryl course. Morey. Of course. Just
0: killing him off off camera, off, off air, and then come on and then just
2: But in all seriousness though, Tom, I've never been a Simmons critic.
1: I'm not saying you were killing Bill. That's why Daryl Morey is your is a shining peace deliverance and song.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like I, I understood what Dead Spin and Awful Announcing and those types were doing back in the blog era when they were "Quote unquote coming after Simmons, like I got it, but I was never really on that. I was actually a big fan of Simmons since like ninety nine two thousand. You know what I'm saying? So it would be it would be actually hypocritical of me to 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 meet the guy and pretend that I haven't been fans of his, a fan of his for the better part of two fucking decades.
1: The uh, the blogs are back though. I don't know if you heard." <laughs> they went away, but they're officially back.
2: That sound y'all hear at home is me rolling my eyes all the way to the back of my head.
0: You're talking to a guy, was that in college we used to call him BGS, Bill God Simmons, because we loved his column so much. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, man. There was nothing better than getting that mailbag column and oh. going in the shitter and just, man, Dude. spending... Spending hours with that. Seriously, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like for real.
2: <laughs> Commuting on the train with a Bill Simmons article for sure.
1: Am I the only one who doesn't get the Bill God Simmons? Uh, wait, that doesn't No, it doesn't have a real reference
2: to I me. Mean, no, this- there's no
1: punchline. There's no pun or like <laughs> No,
2: no, no. Tom was just
0: in awe of his fellow New Englander. That's all that was. It's right. That's right. I don't know what to make of all the injuries, but you guys have discussed it on on the Ringer and on SiriusXM and Lebittard's show. Um, last night, though, we got a great game between the Suns and the Bucks, and Giannis looked amazing, and Chris Paul took over late in the game. And I um, I've become a little bit of a Chris Paul like cheerleader, super fan here because I feel like uh, the conversation in the years past have been overly critical of him and his postseason failures. And so I did a bit, a segment on Levitard show uh, yesterday, basically going through year by year and his playoff failures and pointing out how like crazy his career has been was. I don't know where you fall on the whole Chris Paul story, but it, it isn't easy to tell the Chris Paul story. Where I fall is
2: Chris Paul is obviously great and has been for basically the entire duration of his career. Uh, he wasn't one of those guys like he came into the league killing people yes he didn't have some like rookie oh you're not very good type of situation basically he started out just destroying people that's been the characteristic of his career and you know this the the notion that chris Paul has never been a good enough championship level type of player when excuse me uh I watched a very diminished dwayne Wade win championships with leBron Right. Like it, he wasn't 2000, 2006, Dwayne Wade throughout the duration of those heat championships with LeBron. He was a way diminished player and a player who's worse than Chris Paul. I've watched somebody like a Tony Parker, who is a great Hall of Fame level player, win plenty of championships with the Spurs. you telling me Chris Paul was not at the level of Tony Parker When he was winning championships, like, I see it over and over and over again. And I would say the same thing about Steve Nash, John Stockton, et cetera, et cetera. Like, not that these guys were not championship-level players. They just happened to not win championships.
1: The crazy thing for me about Chris Paul now is the beginning of his career is that he was a fast, bouncy guard. And then he tore his knee up, and he had to re- imagine himself he's a different player than he was when he first came in the league but he killed in either iteration yeah the other thing that's crazy to me is that all that anti-chris paul talk has gone away it's gone
0: except for one loud voice in the room which is (laughs) stu (laughs) Gatz.
1: i gotta give it to him though they're starting the wrong cp is a great line (laughs) It's I, a that's, great bar, man. <laughs> that's perfection. Well, I mean, Cameron Payne was 2-0 as the starting point guard in this series. Chris Paul was 2-2. I mean, perhaps the series is over a couple of games ago if they stick with uh, CP. You know what I'm saying?
2: Chelsea Camp Payne, by the way. Who, I can't say this enough. Saw him at the Summer League in 2019, and I just remember, t- I think it was Siri. I was like, ah, poor guy. Back in Summer League, like. You were in the league. Like, you're out of the league in Europe. You don't just go back in summer league after being in the NBA for three, four years. Like, this is sad. This is is tough to watch. Like, this is horrible. And now look at him. He's a key cog on that bench unit. He's clearly somebody who's giving them stuff. Shouts to campaign. I know that's a digression, but yeah,
0: his jumper's still ugly though. But it goes in now. <laughs> he shoots. He shoots sideways, and then it's it's not quite Michael Kidd Gilchrist levels. But like when he lines up his feet and it's pointing to the sideline, that's crazy. Yeah, his
2: ass is pointed in the wrong direction, but
1: it's wet. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Wait, phrasing. <laughs> 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 but also, I-, I like stories like campaign. Because I like when there's a guy who, his time was up. You're in China, bro. Mm-hmm. Like That's it. There's you and Jimmer and Bobby Brown and mm-hmm. like you're, you're with those mm-hmm. guys now. And he gets a little bit of an opportunity in the bubble and plays well enough to get a camp invite, get minimum, make the team. And then this year he plays the way he plays, which is all right. But then he gets to the playoffs and now I know Cameron Payne is going to get paid this summer. Mm-hmm. He's going to get a multi year deal for hopefully an amount of money where he can take care of his family for the for the rest of his life. Yep. That's pretty cool, man. Like, those yes. are the stories that are real. Like, you know, like this dude was a heartbeat away from being, yeah, I played in the NBA for a few years. Yeah, what would you play for? Oh, you might remember me as a guy that danced at Russell Westbrook.
2: That's what I was going to say. His legacy was going to be the Hammer backup dancers. To Westbrook. Like, that was about to be his legacy. Like, yeah, you were the guy that did the the woe with Russell Westbrook before games, and then you went to China, and we never heard from you ever again. And now he's having big moments against the fucking Lakers. He had big moments against the Clippers when he finally comes back, and he's in the freaking finals, and he's he's an important player. He's, like, he's key to what they do as far as change of pace, change of, change of sort of... Just the the tenor of the team switches. Like, he's running up and down the court. He's yelling at people. He's taking the pull-up threes in transition. Like, they're a different team when he plays, man. Shots the campaign. Like, Amin said, like, this dude should be an inspiration to hoopers everywhere. Period.
0: And the referees still knocked him down a peg last night. Like when he, he got called for carrying in the NBA finals. I was like, come Give me on, it. man. Give
2: me a break. This is the finals. You're going to call carrying out of the blue? That's not a rule in the NBA. Normal. Sorry, palming. If we want to be right. Okay. Yeah. Watch KD or Reggie Jackson dribble the ball. Every single time they bounce it, they're carrying the rock. Like that's just, we've decided that that's fine. And that's part of it. But don't call it on campaign. It's disrespectful, Tom.
0: But they're not calling it on KD. So here's the star treatment. Of course not. They're not calling the 10-second violation on Giannis. But if it's P.J. Tucker out there, you know they're calling it. By the way, Giannis big carrier
1: when he gets that little gather. Yeah, <laughs>
2: like it's it's not even it's not even freaking close at this point.
0: I've been tracking the the Giannis free throws stuff. Uh, I guess you guys might be eye rolling when I do this, but I think it's fascinating that uh, that it's like the biggest story of the fi- of the of the playoffs is like all the fans yelling, uh, you know, countdown or I guess counting up to ten. And then last night, someone tweeted it out onto my timeline, and it blew my mind. Why are we counting up rather than counting down?
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Because I think when you get to 14, it kind of illustrates the absurdity of how long he's taking. Because if you get to one and you go... Happy New Year, right? Like, that's it. But when you get all the way up to, no, that would be
0: amazing if they did just say Happy New Year like halfway through his routine.
1: I think the other thing someone suggested this: they should count slower so that he could he could be oh, lulled into man. a fake sense of security, like, oh, they're only up to seven. I'm good. I still got time. When really, it's been 14 seconds.
2: Look, I think it's great because everybody's participating. Like, the fans are really super into it. And it's not like, you know, fans at Wake Forest <clears throat> saying back me and all of that kind of stuff to J.J. Reddick. And it's not, like, personal stuff. It's literally a freaking rule that they're trying to get in force.
1: Good, clean, old-fashioned fun.
0: Wait, are you sticking up for Cameron Indoor right no, now? No, no, like, no, are you no, really no, going no, no, there? No, 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 no. I'm not sticking up. Like saying, like, <laughs> Wake uh, Forest...
2: <laughs> The Tom Habistro wig, forest cape, is the best freaking cape out there
0: because it's so. Chatting
2: last night, boy. Yo, let's go. <laughs> Did
0: you see some of those chest passes he was making last night? Let's talk about
2: it. Habistro being Ish Smith Hive, like being the most statistician face guy in the media, and Habistro being Ish Smith Hive while the guy. Can't make a jumper to save his life is that's just perfect. It's beautiful.
1: He's better. He's got better. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm talking about Ish Smith, not, not Tom.
0: I mean, you just—he's got that those intangibles, Waz. He's got those intangibles. He's got the intangibles of being a deacon. I know. He's been on every team. I mean, think about it. Michael Jordan played for only two teams. Ish Smith has played for fourteen. I'm Tom Haverstro and you're watching the Big Number. He's played for no way. Smith has been on four I, I, I kind of made that up off the top. I
1: was about to say, holy smokes, that's crazy. Tom, can you name the teams that he's played for? Phoenix. Right. Washington. Right. OKC.
0: Right. Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. New York. New York. Oh, sorry. No, I mean, no, not New York. Nah, he's
1: never been on Knicks. Mm-hmm.
0: Sixers. Yes. It's getting tough here. Uh, OKC said that OKC
1: you already said that
0: think of a place that's really hot Orlando
1: okay yeah that's one I mean. Houston yes that's that's good Jesus you're missing the place goodness. he's played the most amount of games in his career Detroit yeah
0: oh Detroit is the career leader when you said it's really hot were you saying Orlando there
1: or Houston he didn't play for the Pelicans he did he did play for the Pelicans yeah you
0: didn't say the
2: Pelicans that's what I was thinking
1: Missing two, though. Jesus. There's two that you absolutely won't get. Wait,
2: well, how much are
1: we up to right now? Are we not up to 10? <laughs> Seven. You named eight, excuse me. Because you said Milwaukee, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, you're up to eight. So, uh, no,
0: I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I want to say Cleveland, but that's not right. No. Do you see what I did there? I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's my bit where I'm not guessing, but I'm guessing, but not guessing. Oh, no, it can't be, Blake Riff. Yeah. Give it to me. So, Memphis is one that people forget a lot. Mm. And then this one, I legit do not remember. I have zero recollection. He played for the Golden State Warriors.
0: Oh, Yeah. Like, I want to say he might have been on Jeremy Lin Warriors, like on that team back then. So Ish Smith has played on 10 teams. When did he leave
2: Wake Forest? That would be, oh, 10? 10 teams in 10 years.
1: 11 years. 11 teams. My fault. (laughs) I miscounted. Yeah. He's played for 11 teams.
0: And everywhere he goes, people love him. That's the story I should do for Metal Arc is how many teammates he's had in his NBA career.
1: Do you think it's over... No, 200 teammates? I don't think you should do that for a middle. Okay. How many teammates Ish Smith has had over his career?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just name them. Just that, I mean, that sounds like amazing content.
1: Would you not do
0: that? You would not listen to every single name that Ish Smith has played with in his NBA career. The one degrees of, of Ish Smith. Yes. Jeff Teague, amazing last night. Chris Paul, amazing last night. Giannis, the knee looked fine. Like I know we were eulogizing him when he when the the hyperextension happened there in the last series but I think when when Joel and B did that earlier this season he was able to come back in short order um it looked terrible but he looked great in the in the game last night and I I mean I think he got a little gassed honestly like going into the second half that was the thing that I noticed was just the condition he didn't seem like he was attacking the rim as much but when he did he got to the line and I have the count here He's not doing he's not doing the 12 13 second free throws anymore. Like in the last series he was getting up to 13 seconds per free throw. And then in this one he was getting it at like 9 8.8 9.3. And here's the crazy part. He's doing an extra dribble sometimes. Have you seen this? I mean besides LeBron James, LeBron James switches up his routine all the time. But Giannis when he's going through it, like the mental, like he he takes his deep breath and then he spins the ball and dribbles six times. Last night he was dribbling it seven times, but he's still getting it off quicker. And every time he takes a quick free throw, I feel like it goes in.
2: It's funny because on a broadcast, it was like the first round, I think. But Van Gundy was like, yo, I don't like how long he's taking. All of this dribble and breathing, go up there and shoot it. You've taken so many free throws in your life, practice and I think that's what's really happening with Giannis because he self-identifies as I'm the outwork everybody I got here by all of this hard-ass work that I've done on my game. He knows that he's practiced this and he's made them in practice, so I think he's kind of concentrating on all the things that he may or may not have done before he got to the game, and this shit is psyching him the hell out. You know, I do wish he would just get up there and shoot it, bro. Like, at a certain point, let the muscle memory get in there. All of the... (laughs) <laughs> the breathing and the, and the multiple dribbles. And I'm just like, bro, you don't need to do all of that concentrating. You've taken tens of thousands of these damn shots. Just go up there and shoot it, bro.
0: I did a big story on Andre Drummond for uh, True Presents a few years ago. And I had a NASA scientist, a NASA sorry, a NASA astronaut come on and um, and explain to me how he gets... Some of the astronauts who have kind of the yips in uh, in space, like they have the yips on certain things. And this NASA astronaut said that the trick was, and it worked every time, like the trick if you have the yips over something is to wiggle your toes. (laughs) I remember this story. They would have all these like simulations where you had to catch items in the air in space would be floating by and you'd have to catch them and do some sort of like – procedure with that item a lot of astronauts could be amazing at this and then when it like came push came to shove to do it in in like a zero gravity environment they couldn't do it and they're like why can you do it in the simulation and you can't do it in this real environment they're like all right try wiggling your toes as it's happening and suddenly boom they could all do it so this nasa astronaut chris cassidy is just he blew my mind that like deandre jordan andre drummond Giannis ended a Kumpo. Like, if they just wiggled their toes in their shoes at the free throw line, he's convinced that they would be able to make free throws.
1: And then Andre Drummond blocked Tom on Twitter after that. <laughs> That's real, by the way. It's not a joke. You remember that, Tom?
0: Oh, yeah. He, he got real in his feelings
2: on that. And how yeah. he knows the yips is that Giannis in his second year was at 74, then 72, then 77, 76, 73. And then 2019, it just, 2019 20, it just falls off the cliff to 63%. So it's obviously, and he's shooting at volume in 18, 19. He's taking nine free, nine and a half free throws a game, making 73%. Like it's obvious that some, it's some kind of mental block that's happening because he's done it in the past. It's not like he was some Shaq or Ben Wallace who couldn't do anything from the start of his career. He had a whole stretch where he was doing perfectly fine at the free throw line. And now he's
0: Freaking horrible. The focal dystonia is like the condition of like getting the yips. And it's like your hand and your brain aren't really sending the messages for some reason that gets like crossed up for some reason. Like normally in one situation, you're fine. It's like putters. It's like you can practice on a putting green in your house, but as soon as you get onto the golf course, you can't, you can't put it in for three feet. It's a weird trick. Like if I say, don't think of a pink elephant, what are you thinking of?
2: A pink elephant.
0: Right. So when you're at the line and someone's like... Hey, just block it out. Don't think about this. Like, block it out. Like, you can't think about missing. Like, you just got to go up there and focus, focus. When you're up there and you're in your head being like, hey, focus on the rim. Or don't don't think about those people booing at you. You know what you're thinking about? It's people booing at you in the theater, in the the audience. So, um, for Giannis, I think it's uh, like, I'm with you, Waz. Just go up there and take the shot. Just go up there and shoot. Because this whole, like, practicing and telling the referee, like, hey, no. I need this practice free throw before I shoot. I don't think that works. I think just go up there and shoot. I don't think so either.
2: But another thing that I will say about Giannis last night, he didn't have his sort of change of direction, lateral mobility, I don't think was all the way over there. Like he wasn't doing the Euro step stuff and transition and some of the stuff that enables him to be elite in the transition stuff. But he looked good enough, and I think he's going to get stronger as the series progresses And, you know, what I will say about his free throws is that at least he's still going to the damn line, right? Like, it gives Mm. me confidence that in a big spot, it's not like there's no chance that he's going to make it. He might miss it, but there's a chance when Giannis is up there. I feel like there's a chance this is going in. Some of these other cats who scared to go to the free throw line, I do not feel that way about. Ben Simmons. Right. Okay, sorry. (laughs) So that's why I don't mind that Giannis is missing these things or sometimes he'll air ball. It doesn't affect how he plays, you know? And again, you know, when when Doc Rivers came out and you, like, if you're around Doc enough, if you've seen enough Doc post-game press conferences, you kind of know what he's doing. As he's doing it, when he did the overly pump Ben Simmons up and be like, well, I mean, the stats say it's still a good shot. He's trying to say to Ben Simmons, like, stop being scared to do it. The stats say even at your current horrible percentage, that's a good shot for us. In fact, when you don't take those shots in those big spots, that's hurting us. Right. Like he's trying to send a message. But the fact that he has to do that.
0: At all. And Brett Brown did it too. Brett Brown was like, I want him taking three threes a game. Right. Like I just want him to shoot. Don't be afraid of it. But the fact
2: that they need to do that tells you something about how that dude is playing. Giannis, nobody needs to say that. He's gonna attack, he's gonna get to the line anyway. I think he's gonna be fine. And I think even yesterday, you saw in his minutes, he was a plus um he was a plus one in 35 minutes, right? So I think he's still being impactful. Right? Not that plus minus is everything, but he's still being impactful even if he's not MVP level Giannis. I
1: think my biggest problem is that he's doing what he's doing. He played well. Nobody else is doing shit. Yep. The rest of the offense is just garbage. And then defensively, fuck, he couldn't stay in front of anybody. Mm-hmm. Like they were on those switches, on those closeouts, they were attacking him and they didn't have any fear because he, he couldn't move. And that's really where you see the knee. I thought that's where you saw, oh, he's not. He's not feeling great because he can't move laterally. And
0: man, Bobby Portis, bless his heart, on those on those switches on the CP and Devin. The whole Mike Budenholzer conversation has shifted from he doesn't make adjustments
1: enough. Now nah, he's doing the adjustments now. Is he? He's doing the adjustment. What's the adjustment? Other than the worst adjustment ever, which was they switched to the first half. They go in halftime and say, "You know what? Let's try the world's worst defense: the drop coverage <laughs> against <laughs> no, Chris Paul." <Ball."> no, no. <laughs> What was the adjustment? Yo, Where they adjust? Well, well, no. Well, they're not doing drop
0: coverage every single time out and just digging in.
1: Right. That is an adjustment. When they came out of halftime and got destroyed, they lost the game. And then they went to drop coverage. That's
2: true. And I do think there's something about Brook Lopez. He has to watch his instinct fail first before he changes it. Because like early on in the playoffs when he was doing the drop coverage, he was he was basically on the fucking baseline. Underneath the basket, (laughs) he was dropping back so far. And then it's like, Brooke, like we we get it. Like, you want to be near the rim the whole time. But like, there's a happy medium between what you're doing and actually coming all the way out. And he started doing it. And he started doing it against Miami and it messed him up because he was coming close enough that he could challenge Bam or Jimmy or whoever on their mid-range stuff. I think he's when he switched out on the Chris Paul yesterday. He was so far out. He wasn't affecting anything Chris Paul wanted to do. Paul is like dribbling, slowly inching right to his spot. And he's like, he's not going to affect my shot at all. And I'm going to shoot a 16-footer. And it's going to be completely fine. I think he's going to be, he's going to come out more in the next series and be like, all right, Chris Paul, dribble past me like you're John Moran or something. Show me you can do that shit first before I start respecting you too much that I'm giving you wide open
0: mid-rangers. That's where they kill opposing defenses in the mid-range. Like, if you look at their shot chart, Phoenix, yes, DeAndre Ayton is getting a lot of buckets at the rim exclusively, Right but everybody else is getting buckets in the mid-range like they 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 take just about as many mid-range j- jumpers as they do anywhere else on the floor. So you're inviting Chris Paul and Devin Booker who are two of the best mid-range assassins in the game to get to their spots where they're good at. What when when Chris Paul takes one of those like fit, not fade away but those those mid-range jumpers where his leg is kicking up in the air where does that rank on shots where you think it's going in so much that you're surprised when it doesn't go in. Like in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard pull up. Steph Curry, every single time it leaves
2: his hand,
1: <laughs> no matter where it's at. You know, it's funny. <laughs> if Steph's body contorts in the shot, like, you know, sometimes he'll like almost like crouch in midair and turn his body sideways. I'm like, oh yeah, that one's definitely, that one's <laughs> definitely going in. Like the uglier the
0: landing or the more unorthodox the landing is, you, you feel like it's going in even more.
2: But at the same time, Tom, like if I'm going to lose a series on... Brooke Lopez actually contesting Chris Paul fadeaways from 19 foot. What what am I supposed to do? Like if you have a team that is extremely efficient in the mid range and they can make threes and they have somebody like Aiton who can hurt you close to the basket, they're just a really good offense. And you got to try to do, try to push them into the shots that you probably feel like are going to be the least efficient ones, which... I'm sorry, the guy's shooting 72% at the rim. I think you got to stop letting them throw lobster to that dude Aiton at a certain point.
0: I want to ask you guys about this, the idea of like Devin Booker as a championship number two. Like they could win this in five games, seven games, whatever. I'm just assuming that they win the championship here.
1: Winning it in three. (laughs) (laughs) Keep playing drop coverage. That number goes down also.
0: Whenever we talk about is this guy a superstar or a star, all-star, MVP candidate, there's this other like category of a hierarchy in the NBA, which is like, can he be a number one on a championship team? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Can he be a number two on a championship team? Can he be a number three on a championship team? Now that like the Raptors have won a championship and the Lakers with AD and LeBron and then whoever you want to name as the number three, and then you have Devin Booker as the number two, or if you want to say he's the number one and Chris Paul is the number two, like has our definition of what number one, number two, number three Is that changed, or do you think the same rubric applies?
2: To me, Devin Booker, you can call him your number two or whatever. Just all right, if Devin Booker is going to be your best perimeter option, your best one-on-one option, you better be able to get to a point on defense where you consistently stop people, because you're never going to be a playoff offense that is just crazy unstoppable, right? I think it's about how you build the team, like. Devin Booker's never going to get you to a place where it's like LeBron or Steph or Harden. where like, kind of no matter who's around me, I can deliver competent half-court offense at a really high freaking level against set playoff defenses. So, yeah, my defense doesn't have to be that insane. To me, Devin Booker doesn't bring your offense to the point where no matter who you're playing against, you're going to score efficiently against set half-court playoff defenses. However, Phoenix has a defense. Look, man, the, the Aiton dude, I got to give him his props. I was like, bruh, Deon- DeAndre and being your last line of defense against the most sophisticated playoff offenses and uh, creators, that shit ain't going to cut it. That was my belief before the postseason started. And I'm just watching him do his damn thing the whole freaking playoffs. And that's before you get into the Mikael Bridges and the Jay Crowders who are around him to help in that respect. So I think the supporting cast helps that. But I think, you know, AD is illustrative of this too. I think he makes your defense so incredible. You just need to find people that can set the table on an offense that makes sense. He ain't going to be the one spearheading it. Because we know AD by himself don't spearhead a great offense. But if you get somebody that's pretty good at setting the table and getting those little scrap points. and Because, you know, AD is like a glorified garbage man type of or overqualified garbage man with the putbacks and the tip-ins and all of that kind of stuff. I think you'll be straight. I think Booker, he's not an AD number two, but I think he's pretty freaking
0: good. I mean, like what is the story of this Suns team? Like when we talk about copycat league in the NBA is that they're going to, other teams are going to look at this Phoenix Suns team and say, hey, we need to try to, try to duplicate that or replicate that somehow. Like what is going to be the legacy if they win this title? What is going to be the legacy of this Suns team that may, I mean, are they going to change how different teams are going to build their rosters?
1: I don't think so because I think everything that makes them special is what everyone's looking for anyway. Which is, can I get a group of guys that play hard, that buy into their roles, accept their roles, and perform and execute their roles? Never do you watch the Suns and see somebody who's like, yo, you're out of your lane. Everyone stays in their lane remarkably well. And they all have no problem with it. And I think that happens because you've got a guy like Chris Paul leading. And everyone's content to follow and play the role they're supposed to play. You know, you heard Deion Raiden before game one in the pregame media where he said, uh, you know, Chris Paul told me one word is going to make sure you have a very long and successful career. He said, what is it? Angles. And it's just like literally Deion Raiden has bought into like just reading the angles, setting the screens the right way, diving hard, catching, finishing. Then when you're playing with someone like Chris Paul and you're that big and that athletic and can catch, like the game becomes ridiculously easy. So you don't see DeAndre Ayton like, you know what? Let me try taking this 18-footer, which he can do. And I think
2: he'll, at some point in his life, he will start using it.
1: Sure, sure. But, like, because he, he, he'd been doing it in prior years, but the, the, the reality is, like, but that's not what this team needs me to do right now. And so I'm bought in into the things this team needs me to do, and we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it hard. We play smart. Everything else is kind of like, you know, like Cam Johnson happens to be a guy who's a good catch-and-shoot player. He can't put it on the floor. Mikael Bridges is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Devin Booker, obviously, is a, a tremendous offensive player. Cameron Payne is a, more than a solid backup point guard. Like, everyone is just basically doing what they're supposed to do and and agreeing to that. And so, fuck, I look at the Bucks. They're not, they don't. And, not, and sometimes that whole, like, uh, doing your role Makes sound like a negative, like, oh, no, I want to be more. Sometimes it's doing less, right? I think Chris Middleton does less than what he should be doing for Milwaukee. That's not buying into your role or accepting your role.
0: It's knowing Giannis doesn't have it. He's not 100%. I got to be out there and running this offense.
1: And even when Giannis is 100%, I'm not... P.J. Tucker, why just space in the corner? I hope he passed me the ball this time. No no problem. Right? Brooke Lopez, you're more than a pick and pop big. (laughs) You you got Jake Crowder on you. Like, seal his ass down there. You've done this before. You had a whole lifetime. Of Of doing this your whole life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the three-point shooting thing is fairly new for him. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's a lot of just kind of, I don't think Milwaukee maximizes the talent they have and doesn't do a good job of allocating possessions to people in places where they will be really successful. That's why you get a end-of-game play where Giannis catches the ball at half court, takes three dribbles, gets to the top of the key, pulls up. Insanity. That's the definition of a team that doesn't know about role definition, has no role definition, has no role acceptance.
2: Well, I mean, you said it perfectly just now when you talked about Cam Johnson, who's reputationally is like, all right, he's just some spot-up guy, right? And I watched a play last night where I think it was Chris Paul. He comes off the screen. He's going right, and they switched it. And Chris Paul quickly got the ball to Cam Johnson, who, because he had the better angle, could throw the fucking lob to Aiton. And I'm like, God damn, these motherfuckers got it down pat. Like, everybody kind of understands exactly what it is the optimal thing is to do. Exactly. Everybody understands that, like, all right, we're always going to be trying to get eight in the ball against a small little switch. So when Chris gives me the ball, I'm still looking for his ass. Even though that was Chris's first read, I have the angle, boom. And I'm not. John Stockton. I'm fucking Cam Johnson. (laughs) But, Waz, you know what it
1: is? That's a sign that the team is extremely Mm well-prepared because the number of decisions you make as a basketball player on the floor is really dependent on one of two things. A, are you the point guard? Obviously, point guard. Even if you're Ish Smith, there's still a lot of decision-making. Right? Thought it was a compliment. Wasn't a compliment. Move on, I mean. Two, if you're a star player, How dare you. so if you're Devin Booker, if you're Anthony Davis, if you're um, if I think of like star offensive players who aren't necessarily like playmakers like LeBron, but you get the idea. If you're that kind of player, you have a lot of decisions to make at any given time. When I catch the ball, where is it? But, you know, where's the defense, where are my teammates, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're like Cam Johnson, your decision making is really easy. Shoot it or move it. Moving, right? <laughs> That's right. And so then, you know, based on millions of practices and millions of games, when I catch the ball right here, one of two things is going to be true. One, I'm wide open. And this is my shot because I practice this all the time. So this is a good shot. Two, I'm not quite wide open. But if I'm not wide open, that means for sure that guy is. I was on with uh, Tim Legler earlier today on Series 6M. And I was talking about how the Bucks, to me, are one of the worst teams consistently over the last few years at secondary and tertiary uh, rotations. Meaning, okay, the Devin Booker's got the ball. He's going against Bobby Portis on a switch. Drew Holiday says, Ooh, let me come and help. Sags off his man. Devin Booker reads. Drew Holiday sagging off his man which is Chris Paul throws it to Chris Paul on the left wing and whoever is guarding the guy in the corner rather than come up and say oh I got now he's left Chris Paul I gotta move up to take Chris Paul and then my teammate is gonna come over and guard whoever I've got in the corner rather than that they all just stood and looked at Chris Paul as he teed up a wide the fuck open three pointer Milwaukee is awful at these rotations some teams are excellent like the Suns are really good at Helping the helper.
2: Is that their drop coverage philosophy though? If your whole shit is I'm hugging the shooters and I'm letting the two guys play the pick and roll, you don't have to think about this shit ever.
1: Yes, and also no, because it's basketball. Well, yes. <laughs> just because we're doing this particular coverage doesn't mean I've forgotten all the basketball I played, right? Right. I still just say all this to say, Legs said the person who benefits the most against a defense that's bad at rotations is always going to be your center, your big man. Because somewhere along the lines, he becomes an afterthought and then he's wide open at the rim. And so, I wise, you bring up that plan. I'm like, yeah, because they fucked up the rotation. Nobody helps the helper. And so, yeah, so Cam Johnson knows if I'm not open, then 1,000% the guy who's open is Aiton, and all I got to do is throw it up.
0: The other thing that boggled my mind is when they're doing the the 1-5 pick and roll with Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiton, and then they switch so that P.J. Tucker can now guard Brooke Lopez. What was P.J. Tucker doing? Fronting Brooke Lopez. I mean, fronting DeAndre Orton. Yeah, Jane, Jane, Aiton. DeAndre wow. Aiton. Orton. I, I got Daniel Orton, Orton in there, man. Wow. Shout out to Daniel Orton That's from Kentucky, man. Wow. So when P.J. Tucker's fronting DeAndre Ayton, they're just going to throw that lob over the top. Like, P.J. Tucker can't—what are you—what are you doing? You're shorter than DeAndre Ayton. Like, there's no point in fronting him. I mean, I guess the issue is the back line defender should be picking him up.
2: You have to front him because, like, Ayton is too good at just straight up— and I say this all the time because—I'm sorry, KP— not Kevin Pelton, Chris Taps is <laughs> not ever developing a way to just beat smaller guys when that's been the fucking problem from his rookie freaking season that you could put a Patrick Beverly on him and he will do nothing to punish that, and in, in, like, ever. Like, Aiden is so good already at that. Where it's just like, no, P.J. Tucker's seven inches taller than me. I have an insane windspan. I'm five feet from the basket. If he's behind me, I'm catching it, turning around and shooting over his ass, right? So, and PJ, he did this, he did a good amount of it last season with Houston, remember when they went to a uh, super small ball, of being really good at fronting guys and getting his ass into their thighs so that they couldn't just jump all over him. Like, he's pretty good at that, to that credit. But I think... The backline guy has to help him in Milwaukee again. They don't have enough. they not enough practice with this shit, man. They they're clearly not not great at. it. It's not like back when we were watching the Light Years Warriors execute switches, where their communication was on
0: another freaking level. But and they could do it, right? <laughs> right. So like you're, you're you have KD. <laughs> Andre Iguodala and Draymond.
2: But even before they got KD, you know, they, they were a, an elite switching team. Even before KD, then KD
0: happens and it's just like- It's over at that point. It's not
2: even fucking fair. Yeah.
0: No, it wouldn't have been over if Chris
1: Paul didn't get hurt,
0: right? So- <laughs> Oh,
1: God. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> what the Warriors do is that they had, like, I just got done with decision making and how like most teams, your point guard makes a lot of decisions, your best offensive player makes a lot of decisions- and then everyone else, ideally, it's very easy. Shoot it or move it, right? And if you're moving it, you know exactly where it's supposed to go. There's no creativity that we're looking for out of you. Um, the Warriors were blessed with a bunch of dudes who were all excellent decision makers, who you could give them point guard level options of decision trees. And they, and they knew how to pick the right one every single time. And that obviously factors in on the defensive end where it's like – I. I talk about it all the time. The game they won against Toronto where uh, where Kyle Lowry's shot goes behind the backboard or whatever. That was all ad lib. Like Iguodala decides, you know what? I'm just going to go double quad. He's not going to beat us. And as soon as Draymond sees Iguodala go, he says, all right, I'm going to maneuver myself from behind Marcus you know, between him and the basket to – the other side of Marcus All. So I can if it goes to Marcus All, I got an arm wrapped around him here, he's not gonna be able to get up up the floor. But if it goes to the corner, I can close out the corner. I'm not gonna be suffocated by Marcus All. And I can close out. And that's what he did. He closed out to Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry misses the shot and and the Warriors win. Like that's a level of defensive IQ that is extraordinary, not just for him on a personal level but on a team level that one guy decided to do something different and everybody realized, oh, he's doing this or that means okay, I'm going to go this way and you you start sagging this way and we'll take him out like that. That's not Milwaukee. Like they don't have that. They don't have that from an IQ standpoint as a team. I don't know if they have that from an IQ standpoint of any individual defender outside of maybe Drew Holiday. So you can't you can't do that. You can't play like that. You want you're trying to do something that you, you literally have never done all year long, which leads me to the switching when there isn't an actual screen. If nobody <laughs> fucking touches you. Oh, my
2: God. bro,
1: Stay with your dude. <laughs> then don't switch. Stay with your dude. Why are we switching just because like a, a gentle breeze went by? Oh, I felt something.
2: Yeah. And the point is like having some spatial awareness. Chris Paul is not Steph. Which is obvious, I know. But what I'm saying is, like, in the sense that Steph gets his shot off in a microsecond, that ain't Chris Paul. He got this long-ass windup. So, like, if you give him daylight for a couple of seconds, it's completely fine, y'all.
1: Yo, another thing that pissed me off so much, I'm like, like, do you guys even fucking watch basketball? (laughs) The Suns are setting the screen 28 feet up. And the defender is fighting over the screen of guard. When has Chris Paul ever shot that shot?
0: <laughs> he actually doesn't take threes much at all, like period.
1: So I I did the math. You'll be happy to know I actually went and did the math. I said, okay, what does Chris Paul do in this scenario, right? Shooting from that far out. I started with 30 feet out, right? What do you guys think Chris Paul shot this season from 30 feet out?
2: It took about 10 of them. That's once every seven games. or he-
0: I'll say seven this season.
1: 30 feet out. Chris Paul, nine attempts. How many do you think he made?
0: None. I'll go with one.
1: Zero. Zero. All right. So then I said, That's okay. my bias kicking in. 30 feet is pretty far. Let me drop it down to 28. At 28 feet, how many has he taken? 15? I'll go with 17. 23 attempts. He's made Four. there.
0: It's that basketball IQ where he knows it's not a good shot for him, so he's not going to take it that often. It falls
2: (laughs) there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I said 27 feet. He had 63 attempts at 27 feet. He's made 19 of them. 30% shooting. So I said, okay, 26 feet. And now now we're getting a lot closer to the the three-point line. Your point is made. At 26 feet, it's 123 attempts, right? He's made 39. That's 31.7%. But the, the Bucks are guarding him like he's Steph Curry. Or Dame Lillard, yeah. Or Damian Lillard or Trey Young. That's what I wanted to ask you guys.
2: Because the next question is we know Budenhoser on the proverbial hot seat, coming into the finals before he clinched it or whatever. And everything that you're saying, I mean, is it speaks of a team who's just not as prepared as they could humanly possibly be. Does he deserve to keep this job? If the talent is underperforming what they're capable of, what are we doing here with with Budenholzer?
0: So I think it has to start at the top in terms of Giannis. Like when you're Mike Budenholzer and you're not reigning in Giannis's ill-advised like undisciplined offense, what do you think that says to the rest of the crew? When Mike Budenholzer is like, "Yeah, it's cool if if Giannis wants to take those like those thirty footers and those—he's trying to take people off the dribble and doing this stuff. I don't think that that creates an atmosphere in the locker room of like he's going to get on you if you don't perform your job because he's not getting on Giannis for doing that.
2: So you're saying he's he's telling them to do the right thing and they're just not doing it? See, I don't think that's what's happening.
0: I just don't <laughs> think they have the the accountability. Like, I don't think they have the sense of accountability. Like, if I don't do this, he's going to get on me.
2: See, but my thing with Giannis, Tom, is he's played at an MVP level for three years in a row. He won two of them, finishing top five or whatever. Like, you can say he's taking those bad shots every now and again, but he plays at an MVP level. This isn't like Marcus Smart being enabled by Brad Stevens here, right? Like, that's a that's a measure right. of degree of
0: difference that's just like, whoa. I appreciate you not going with, like, James Johnson there or another <laughs> Wake Forest guy. Is Smith?
2: You can't say Giannis is being enabled while he's delivering output at an MVP level. I'm just saying, like, these cats just don't be prepared. But they're in the finals. Oh, my God. Are we really going to do that?
0: They're in the finals. So, like, that's the thing I come back to. They beat KD
2: and Harden on one leg and, and Bruce Brown whoop the fucking doo In seven games.
1: That was Zach Harper's joke. He said, he said, oh, the Bucks have been making adjustments. And he said, what adjustment is that? Having the best player on the other team get hurt? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, hey, let's get uh, James Harden and uh, Kyrie Irving and Trey Young. Trey Young
2: couldn't freaking move by the end of that series. And they were giving Milwaukee everything they could freaking handle before that damn injury.
1: There's an argument that Trey Young doesn't get hurt. Where we've got Suns Hawks in the Come in the on, finals, man. Right? So- like, that's the thing. It's like, is is Bud's next adjustment is to hope that Chris Paul gets hurt? <laughs> that's the adjustment? Well, he almost did it with Brooke Lopez. Or at least an Aiton.
0: Brooke Lopez pulled a Zaza Pachulia a little bit and went under uh, Chris Paul's jump shot there. And they avoided injury there.
1: Who do you guys think would be the injury? Rank them for me. Who would be the injury that would most spell doom for the Suns?
2: I'd say it's Booker. Wow. Yeah, I'd say it's Booker because... Chris Paul is as brilliant as he is. I, I really think a series in which he has to operate in one-on-one for 40 minutes long, every single game, I don't think that's a series they win. I don't. But that he gets to, one, play the Bucks defense who's not going like, to actually make you work the hardest that you possibly can. But two, like, that he gets to have Say Devin Booker be a release valve. No, I'm Say just it. saying. He, they he, get
0: the right CP in there.
2: <laughs> that, too, that too that Cam- <laughs> too by the way Cameron Payne coming off of screens and just wedding pull up three-pointers from 26 feet like that's that's ins- that's absurd to me like as Yo,
0: Bull's Twitter when he does that
2: is it's unbelievable just like whoa um but that Devin Booker gets to relieve him of some of that and it's not even just Devin Booker doing the one-on-one stuff that you basically you have to do every series in the playoffs. We've seen that every single year. You have to do at least some of it sometimes. He's playmaking. He's freaking dribbling into the the teeth of the defense, finding shooters in the corners, finding guys rolling to the rim like Devin Booker is he's as a secondary ball handler, he's doing a lot for them. So I think it's Booker, man, cuz he combines the one-on-one stuff with the playmaking stuff. He'd be the guy that would sink the Suns tomorrow.
0: I still got CP, then Aiton, then Devin Booker. Wow. And Ayton primarily because now you got Dar- Dario Saric out with an ACL injury. They don't have a backup center. You're going to rely on Frank Kaminsky. So if if DeAndre Aiton is out, they're cooked. Not to say that Saric is like the next coming of Anthony Davis, but I just think the the drop-off from that, DeAndre Ayton to the backup, is much bigger than the other two.
1: I think they just go super small and say, we're not going to play with a center there.
0: And have Jay Crowder be at the five.
1: Yep. The, the, yeah. Rather than play Frank. Frank played three minutes last night. Right? Yeah. So it's like they clearly, but that's
0: because DeAndre Ayton played forty-five, right? (laughs) That wasn't the
2: Wisconsin Badger Frank Kaminsky
0: out there, by the way. Like he was pretty Charlotte's finest.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's that's what we was getting a dose of.
0: I want to ask this: like when you're guarding Giannis, I saw DeAndre Ayton play him straight up. Like when Giannis put his shoulder into him, he he tried to be strong and didn't fall. Whereas Jay Crowder, when he's guarding Giannis, he's waiting for Giannis to do a spin move, and then he's going to collapse. Wow. Which defense do you th- have more confidence in, DeAndre Ayton and his ability to be straight up with Giannis, or Jay Crowder baiting him into the charges that uh, like so many other players have done with Giannis?
2: I'm anti charge, block charge. I just think we need to get rid of it as a rule. Like to me, if a guy doesn't, if an offensive player literally doesn't take out an AK-47 and start mowing people down it should be hard for him to get a foul call against him, right? So I feel like it'd be hypocritical of me to just say. But that's the best way to do it, because not only, it's not even about the calls that you may or may not get. It changes the guy's mentality when he's going to the hoop now. Like, he's not going with as much reckless abandon and aggression after one or two of those calls go against him. So it's definitely always going to be worth it to try to draw that charge against the LeBrons and the Giannis's. Um, and, you know, those kind of battering ram type of dudes because it changes how they play. It takes out clearly one of the best weapons in their arsenal that you don't even have to freaking guard anymore at this point. So it's definitely take that fake-ass charge and not play guys straight up. Although I think Aiton can play Giannis straight up and do pretty well when Giannis is not yep. at his lateral quickness best.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's my thing. It's like... Ayton is can do a good job because Giannis is limited. And in this version of Giannis, absolutely. I, I trust Aiton to just body him up and then make him shoot over the top of him. But like if Giannis- gets- He wasn't
0: doing those spins, right? So like the Jay Crowder, like like waiting for that spin to happen. That's not exactly happening every time down the floor. I think he
1: did one Euro step and it was not as pronounced as he usually does it. It was like a lot shorter, tighter. And he got fouled. Like it was definitely like he took his time, like one, two. So, um, yeah, man, I I, I, kind of think like Aiton, I keep Aiton on like, I guess the question is, if you're the Suns game two, do you start again with Crowder on Lopez and Aiton on Giannis? And I said, yeah, I do.
0: Yesterday before the game, uh, Adam Silver was talking at the podium about injuries and load management. And he was saying how injuries are up. And obviously the load management isn't working. If rest is up a hundred percent and injuries are also up, then the load management oh thing can't be right. And I'm sitting here being like, you guys play
2: 72 games in 90 days. What are you talking about?
0: We can say that maybe rest hundred percent is up and also injuries are up. Does that mean that we should maybe do 200% rest days more? Like the, the idea is that, Hey, hundred percent didn't work. We rested more last year and the injuries still happen. I just think uh, at the end of the day, when we talk about the NBA schedule, I think the more that we have these stars hurt, it is a snowball effect. So next year, Jamal Murray is going to be coming in, not 100%. Klay Thompson is coming into next year, not 100%. LeBron James is going to be continuing to rehab that ankle. So it's going to perpetuate itself. So this idea that like next year we got to go to 82, we got to go back to 82 because 72 didn't work. Obviously, 72 didn't work last year. So we're going to go to 82. I think they have to rethink this system, the economics of it, 82 games and the fact that injuries were up and rest days were up and games were down 782 to 72 does not make me feel more compelled to go back to the old system. I think it's I think it's a big problem going into next year with all these stars hurt.
1: I think if they don't if they don't try 72 in a regular amount of time, then they can't say that it doesn't work.
2: Exactly. And to me, what was instructive was the bubble. It was twofold. It was like they had the 3 months off and then they had like they knew it was an eight game sprint. And I remember watching that first Clippers-Lakers game. That was super competitive. They're playing really hard. The execution level, I was like, God damn. These dudes are ready to freaking play. And I think part of it is like, yo, we got eight games to get ready for the real season. We just came off a nice long layoff of rest where we could ramp up our, like, sort of workouts, et cetera. And they hit the ground running. Now, compare that to... (laughs) How dudes came out to start this season after the two-month layoff, it was ridiculous. Everybody, and again, these are human beings. I think Henry was the first person to make this point. Like, they know it's a long season. Like, I know it's like, oh, we get paid to play this game and blah, 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 blah. So we should just be playing hard no matter what. They're human beings, dude. Like, they understand that this 72 freaking games in this condensed schedule. We're taking it easy. To me, it's not even about an injury thing. The product freaking stinks when there's no rest. You know, like it's just a bad thing to look at guys half-assing it because they know they're playing way too much games in a really condensed schedule. I think just like the product. It comes
0: out of they don't think the games matter.
2: No, because they fucking don't.
0: Right. So just miss me with the like I know when you were talking about adjustments with Zach's joke, I'm like, it's true. Like, like Chris Paul. Giannis, they're in the finals, but they also had a lot of injuries on their side and a lot of injuries on the other side. And I keep thinking, like, this is how the NBA is going to be. This is the new normal. Like, the idea that we're going to have this, like, pure champion next year that didn't have these injuries left and right, like, I think it's fiction. We know the Toronto Raptors, what, Clay, what happened to Klay Thompson and, and Kevin Durant in 2019. The Lakers last year, Bam Adebayo misses two games. Goran Dragic tears his foot in the first game. And then you also look at earlier in the in that in that year, Dame Lillard gets hurt in that series with the Lakers. This is how it's going to be. The idea that this is it is an abnormal year from an injury standpoint. There's been 10 All-Stars who have missed games due to injury. The previous high was six. But the idea that like this is going to be solved next year because there's going to be more rest in the season, I think, is asinine. I think this is the new normal. I
2: don't know that it's gonna be solved, and the idea that you would get the owners to think long term about this, and it's like, oh, why would I cut my inventory? These guys are just short-sighted cats. All they ever do is think about the next buck. It's just obvious. That's how they operate, and so you know, it is what it is. And then it's like, maybe, maybe y'all want to do a fucking Premier League style. Fuck the playoffs. If y'all want to make these games matter, do a point system where every single point, every single game counts a point total, and then you'll see your regular season change. But I think Americans have been so conditioned to the playoff format that I don't think people would want to go for that
1: either. But I'm not mad at the way the Premier League operates. I learned a long time ago, man, like nothing we say is going to change anything. I think we shouldn't have a draft, but I know the draft is here to stay, Right. I don't know. The schedules never, other than a pandemic or lockout or some other disaster of that nature, they're never going less than eighty-two. They're just never going to do it because, like Waz said, man, like because like they all they think about is like, but but what about my three million or four million gate that I make per home game? Like, you gonna take away five home games from me? No.
0: Mm. Yeah, but I I don't think the NBA likes asterisk talk every year. I don't think they do. I don't think they they like, you know, Charles Barkley and the rest of the commentators on the national stage making fun of how soft the players are and that they're always injured and Anthony Davis. Like I I just think the more that this becomes um, a thing and that becomes um, part of the NBA's brand, that's going to be a problem.
1: You could reduce the schedule to 30 games. Teams are still going to load manage.
0: Uh, I don't agree with that. No. I don't think they're gonna load manage in a 30-game season. In a 60-game season, maybe.
1: Right. Like I guess, I guess let me rephrase that.
2: Give me my just round robin season. I mean, two games against every single team. Home and away. Let's get us the hell up out of here and into the playoffs.
1: That would be a dream. 58 game season.
0: Yes. That would be a dream. Oh my 58 goodness. game season, home and away. And if the fan in Oklahoma City doesn't get to see LeBron that year, wait till next year.
1: LeBron's been in the league for 20 years. And here's what I would do I would expand the play in. Mm. Six and under.
2: I love the play in. Oh, that's great. I love it too. The fucking tension of that Lakers Warriors game was insane. It was amazing.
1: And uh, hold on. And there's nothing I'd add. Uh oh. Pick your opponent.
0: Yes. We've hammered that. Yeah. Pick your opponent in the postseason, add some juice, make seeds. You know, if you get the top seed, that actually gives you some sort of uh, some choices. And with all the injuries happening now, a lot of really good teams like the Lakers or the Warriors are going to be the eighth seed. And so it becomes that much more important for you to be able to choose your opponent. Waz, thank you so much, man. Congrats on all your success at the ringer at Spotify. Excuse me, at Spotify. (laughs)
2: Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you.
0: I'm going to workshop my take that uh shoes are overrated for maybe full court fits one day. Oh my god, shoes are overrated. I mean no, no, actually Tom. Like right
2: now, <laughs> actually Tom.
0: Sandals, rainbow sandals all actually, day. Tom, I just
2: shoes are overrated in the sense that there are people who are willing to spend 1200 on some kicks that the fake scarcity, the fake Jindub scarcity of sneakers is hilarious to me just in the sense that like there's Literally tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of shoes in the world. There is nothing actually scarce about a Supreme Nike sneaker. Like, there's nothing, like, it's no, there's no true scarcity to it, right? So it's just fake and ginned up, like that, yes, that's overrated, the way people treat individual shoes as if they're actually scarce when nike puts out sneakers every fucking weekend
0: yeah you gotta get this one because we're only gonna do this once every three days
1: was i want scarcity to return for just one item so i can sell it and then be done with it i bought those fucking bb adapt uh shoes the ones with the Mm self-lacing with the explicit purpose of just gonna resell them and to this day, it is the only shoe I have ever seen on StockX where the going price is less than retail. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even make back what I what I paid for it.
2: <laughs> I think Nike got a little carried away with the the new technology, self-lacing, whatever. It was like Tinker. Like I watched Tinker's like, I think, I don't know if it was on YouTube or Netflix. It was this show dedicated to designers. And at the end of the show, they were talking about what he's newly passionate about. And it's this self-lacing shit. And so I think Nike just got kind of carried away with how important people would think self-lacing was. And and it's just not something people actually care about.
0: (laughs) They're going to be like, "Uh, imagine if we had this material that like, if you just strapped it down on the shoe, it just stuck. (laughs) it's called Velcro. You don't have to tie anything. You just strap it on there.
1: I'm looking at it right now. And at my size, the asking price is $212. That's damn near half, half what retail was.
2: That's tough, but that's the, that's the karma gods mean like stop reselling kicks, man. I never
1: did it in my life. I've never gotten a pair of shoes with the explicit purpose of reselling?
0: okay f- feel you fair enough this
1: is the first time
0: it's like the anti-wake force all these guys coming out of wake force always like undrafted or 15th and their stock always goes up in the league it's the anti-wake is basically what you're saying
2: maze I think that's our
0: cue <laughs> undrafted ish smith is what you're talking about now he's been drafted by 15 teams
2: that's definitely <laughs> our cue <laughs>
0: thank you so much was for joining us enjoy the rest of the finals thank you appreciate you bro
2: Don't worry, you me. You'll be back in in Arizona for games five and seven because there will be. There
1: will be no five. There will be no seven. Man, <laughs> you think this is a wrap, Tom? Their adjustment at halftime was let's play drop coverage against Chris Paul. <laughs> that was their adjustment. They sat in that fucking coach's office for eighteen minutes, and that was the best idea they came up with.